are listening to A Writer's Help. This is episode one of season two of Hitchhiker's Guide to Heaven, Hell, and Everything Else in Between. Written by Suli Daniel Johnson. It is recorded and produced by Genesis 2112 Productions, copyright 2021. To listen to season one, search Hitchhiker's Guide to Heaven and Hell, complete season one on audible.com. As you remember, during the last episode, the quartet narrowly escaped the coal mining town while being chased by a security guard. The trio meets a robot, Amy, developed by Dr. Spots. The android was developed from an espresso machine and retained some of its qualities. The guard, this time, manifested as a senile old man, got confused as to where they wanted to go. So he took his best guess. After the dust cleared, the group found themselves in a narrow corridor with high ceilings. They were enclosed on both sides by high shelves filled with rows upon rows of books. Theo looked dazed. Laura looked around at Theo, Jefferson, and Amy. Theo, what happened? Where are the others? Don't know, man. Where the hell are we? Don't know, man. Where are we? We seem to be in some type of library. Amy, what are you doing here? Amy began to hiss and percolate. Cut that out, damn it! Where's Ryan? Don't know, man. Theo, what is this place? Looks like some type of library, dig? Thank you for the insight, genius. Amy began moving forward along the aisles of books. Amy, where are you going? I hear something. What? What is it? I don't hear anything. That is because you don't have a positronic hearing matrix. What do you hear, Hal? It sounds like music. Here, let me pipe it into my speakers for you. Amy pushed a few buttons on his chest, and after a few moments, some tinny sound came out of his mouth. That ain't no music. What is it? It sounds like a Gregorian chant. The chanting continued as they listened. Maybe we're in a church, man. At this point, an old man in a rough brown robe stepped out from the side of one of the aisles. He was carrying a large leather-bound book. He looked into it as he walked, muttering. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, Mr. Monk. The man took no notice of them and continued to walk, muttering as he did. He disappeared into another aisle. Jefferson followed him. He turned to the group and said, Hey! Y'all coming or what? Maybe this dude knows a way out of here some. The group caught up to Jefferson, and they followed the old man to a large archway. The chanting grew louder now. They followed him out into a large cathedral space. It looked like a very old Gothic-style church. The room was lit by candles, and there were immense amounts of other monks standing next to the podiums and writing. They had ink quills and were writing in large leather-bound books. Hey, man, I heard about this place, you dig? This is where all those writers go, man. Larry told me about it, you dig? You mean Timothy Larry, the counterculture psychologist from the 60s? Yeah, man, that's the same cat. He spent a lot of time here once, but it wasn't his scene, man, so he split, you dig? So what the hell we doing here? Don't know, man. But maybe some of these cats can help us, you dig? They know all kinds of shit, man. 
What are they writing? They're copying scriptures, you dig? You mean like in the Bible? No, man. This is hell, you dig? It's their punishment, man. To copy the damn scriptures of hell, man. Laura stepped up to a middle-aged man in a brown robe who was calmly and methodically writing something in a large book. She bent over and read it. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. All work and no play makes Jack a dull Wait a minute, what kind of scripture is this? The man put down his pen and turned to Laura. Actually, it doesn't matter what we write. No one reads it. He paused and looked down at his page. And that's the worst of the torture, you know, for a writer. Who are you? Douglas Adams. Yes, Adams. Douglas Adams, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide. Hitchhiker's Guide to what? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Of course. She turned to Jefferson and gave him an annoyed look. Everyone knows that. So what are you doing here? There's nothing illegal or moral about that shit. Plagiarism. She looked at him confused. Stole my idea from Azimov. Wait a minute. Hitchhiker's Guide is nothing like Asimov. You know, the Foundation series? She looked at him confused. The Encyclopedia Galactica. I made the mistake of using something similar in my script. But you wrote a parody. Aren't parodies supposed to make fun of existing stories? Wait a minute. Didn't Asimov get his idea from Encyclopedia Britannica? Anyway, that is not plagiarism. It's not plagiarism to write something similar to another story. He looked at her inside. Well, that's not how the judge saw it. Judge? What? The right honorable Louis Lamore. You mean Louis Lamour, the formula writer who wrote all those cowboy stories with essentially the same plot? Hey, watch it. My daddy liked them books. He used to read them all the time. I don't disrespect Hawk and romance. She turned out. So how did Louis L'Amour become a judge in hell? I don't know. Maybe the big guy doesn't like Western. No, man. That's not it. It's the big guy's sense of humor, you dig? He has pattern for putting the worst offenders in charge of things, you dig? He gets off on the pain, man, and the injustice and the confusion of it all, you dig? Well, whatever it is, it's not right. Yeah. Well, this is hell, ain't it? I don't care. It's not right, and we're going to fight it. Well, how are we going to do that, man? I don't know yet. Laura looked around for a few moments. Amy will help us. What? How that coffee maker turned into jukebox going to help us with this? Didn't Dr. Spots tell us he was a supercomputer? She turned to Amy. Amy, can you read? I am fluent in 337 languages of Hell, Heaven, Limbo, and the adjoining realms. She turned to Adams. Mr. Adams, does your library contain any law books? He looked at her and smiled. Huh. It has every volume written on the laws of Hell, Heaven, Limbo, and adjoining realms. Adams tossed away his quill and stepped away from the podium. Finally, let's go. He began walking down rows of monks, and they followed him. They walked a long time, and then he turned into an archway, into a large room, 
where an immense amount of monks were sitting at a desk writing. Who are they? Oh, this is the western section? All of these writers were convicted of plagiarism? Laura looked at the room. It was filled with millions of people, as far as the eye could see. Surely not all of these people committed plagiarism. These are just the ones who wrote a story set in the 1870s. American West, Gunslinger, oh, saves people from a bunch of other gunslingers. Doesn't that include pretty much every Western story ever written? They walked a while and then passed through an arch on their right. They stepped into another large room with millions more people who sat writing. These people wrote a story set in a city where a detective solves a crime in an unconventional way. Well, that's pretty much every detective movie ever written. After a few minutes, they came to a small wooden door with windows of smoked glass with lettering on it. It read, Appeals Court. Inside was a small waiting room with wooden chairs that lined the walls. Two middle-aged men sat next to each other. One was holding a magazine that said Weird Tales. So, how's it going, Robert? One of the men, a gruff-looking man with a crumpled cowboy hat, looked up from his magazine. Well, it looks like they're still going to go through with it. But aren't you and HP friends? The other, a slender man with a black suit, looked up. Howard said, Well, that's true. HP doesn't have a problem with my stories. The whole thing is quite ridiculous. I don't have any problem with Howard mentioning Dagon or the Old Ones. Between you and I, I am certain the Old Ones and Dagon really do exist. He must have seen them in a dream or something. H.P. Lovecraft? Laura stepped forward with excitement and held out her hand. I've read all of your stories. I particularly like the color out of space. The subtle allusions are intense. She turned to the other man and held out her hand. You must be Robert E. Howard. Robert who? She turned to Jefferson. Robert E. Howard, the author of Conan the Barbarian. They both wrote for the magazine Weird Tales in the 1930s, and they became fast friends. She turned to Howard and H.P. You are friends, aren't you? They both nodded. Why are you here? Well, it's Louis L'Amour, you see. He says that it's still plagiarism, even if the author gives you his consent. The whole thing is just crazy. I mean, H.P.'s been talking about the same stuff for years. How can I tell what he decides to put in his books and his stories? Quite right, my friend. I try to explain to them that I am not writing fiction, but merely recounting factual events from Earth's prehistory. So why y'all here, then? Laura is going to help me to appeal my case. Yes, it's not fair. I mean, have they ever even read the definition of plagiarism? Well, that's Louis L'Amour's interpretation. He's not the most educated of people. What about his writing? His stories are all the same. All remakes of something that's already been written. I think he's trying to make a lot of noise to hide behind it all. So, what is your angle? Well, Laura has a supercomputer robot here. It's going to memorize all the law books ever written and come up with a defense. Actually, I've already accumulated all the necessary data. What do you mean, Amy? We haven't even gone to the library yet. I am equipped 
with a T1 connection. I accessed all the files on the way, and I am processing them now. I should be ready for a defense in six minutes, 33 seconds, and 17 ticks. That's amazing. A slender demon in a tan-colored uniform came into the room. Lifting up his clipboard, he said in a loud voice, Mr. Douglas Adams against the state? Uh, I think that's all of us. Wow, that was quick. She turned to Amy. Are you ready, Amy? Yes, I'm just frothing the mix. Adams looked at Laura with a questioning expression. Don't ask. It's better if you don't know. The bailiff guided them through some large wooden doors that led into a large room with a large dais in front and rows of wooden benches next to them. The bailiff brought them forward and they sat down in the front row. Up on the desk sat an elderly man in a black robe with a cowboy hat on top of his white wig. Everybody stand for the Right Honorable Chief Justice Louis Lamore. Everyone got up. Louis wrapped his desk with his mallet, and everyone sat down. A female demon with bright red hair, dressed in a black robe, said, If the court pleases today, we have an appeal from Mr. Douglas Adams against the state. Louis looked over the papers, and then looked over at the woman. I have the accused step forward, please. Adams stepped into a small platform surrounded by wooden rails. How do you plead, son? Not guilty. Uh, who is representing you today, son? Laura nudged Amy in the side and stood up. Uh, me, I mean, uh, uh, me, I mean, I am, your honorable sir. And who are you, son? I am the right honorable Confirmatic AM. 3572Y25M. Who the hell? He's Amy, your honor. I mean, the right honorable Charles Ames III. Louis looked down at Amy over his bifocals. Oh, well, if it's okay, I'll just call you Amy, son. Well, that would be perfectly acceptable to me. There was a long pause. Finally, Louis leaned forward. So, you mind telling me what this is all about, son? Laura stepped forward. Well, you see, our client feels that he has unfairly been judged. There was a pause. I am Laura. I mean, the right honorable Laura Louise Devlin. I am a legal assistant for Mr. Amy. I see. So what are the details of the accused plea? Well, you see, we do not feel that he is guilty of anything. There's no evidence of plagiarism. I've listened to the radio show several times, and I can't see any evidence of him plagiarizing. She looked over at Amy, trying to catch his attention. He seemed to be looking blankly forward as water bubbled out of his head. Well, now, little lady, this here is a court of law. Here, sweet pea, we don't deal with opinions, only facts. She looked over at Amy and kicked him. Ah, uh, yes, facts. He stepped forward. Your Honor, today we hope to prove that there is no way that Mr. Adams could have plagiarized anything. At this point, a tall, slender demon with whitening hair and a pencil mustache walked into the room. Sorry, I'm late, Your Honor. 
prosecuting a case for speaking nice language in a public place. Would the prosecuting attorney please state his name for the records? I am the Right Honorable Stephen Stimes. I am representing the state in the appeals of the case of the state against Adams. Proceed. Your Honor, I would like to refer to the case of Shelley against Williams, Norde, Stiles, Jefferson, Hopes, Vincennes, Nguyen, Vincennes, Peterson. How many people are on the list, son? Oh, 3,376. We can just submit the list to the records then. The prosecutor handed a few pages of paper to the female demon. In the case of Shelley versus, uh, you know who, a precedent was set that the concept of an artificially created being terrorizing the populace had already been used by Mary Shelley. Using this concept in a story is a clear case of plagiarism. A percolating sound came from Amy, followed by the clanking and steam. Excuse me, Your Honor, I would like to bring forth the case of Brad Lewis against Michelle Stones. The prosecutor demon was riffling through a bunch of papers frantically. A precedent was set when the court ruled against Lewis, stating that Stones was in her rights to use a pinch of huckleberry jelly in a vanilla hazelnut mocha latte. The prosecutor stood up now. Your Honor, I would like to bring the attention of the court to the case of Bram Stoker against Williams, Norte, Stiles, Jefferson, Hobbes, Vincennes, Nguyen, Vincennes, Peterson. Is that another list, son? The demon handed a bunch of papers to the woman. The court ruled that a person improperly diagnosed with leukemia had already been used by Stoker. Steam began to hiss from Amy. Excuse me, Your Honor, I would like to bring the court's attention to the case of Demond Staples against Fifi LaRoche. The court ruled in favor of LaRoche, deciding that frothing a latte with vanilla aerosol spray was an original idea because she did it with her left hand instead of her right. The judge rapped on the table with his gavel. Okay, I think I heard enough here. I'm ready to deliberate on this case now. Wait a minute. We haven't even provided all of our defense yet. That's okay, doll. I mean, I have all the information I need now. The name is Laura. Laura Louise Devlin. Oh, yeah. Well, now, don't you worry your pretty little head about this, Peaches. I said my name is Laura. Well, now, little girl, don't you worry none now. Us experts got this whole thing covered. Run along now. I think I hear there's a fish fry on the grounds and back. Maybe you can go to that. Laura turned to Theo. Do something. Theo stepped up. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Judge. I can't really dig this scene, man. But this is how I see it, you dig? He moved up to the desk. Well, man, it's like Woodstock, you dig? I mean, CSN didn't get bent when Dylan sang their shit, man. And Baez was cool with Joplin singing her stuff, man. I mean, it's all cool, man. Cosmic consciousness, you dig? No one owns their shit, man. I mean, we're all children of the universe, you dig? Music belongs to everyone, man. It's only the establishment that tries to take it, man. Who is this guy? Bailiff, escort this. This. 
Well, take him out of my courtroom. Laura moved towards the judge. You should be ashamed of yourself. You don't stand for any kind of justice. Look at your stories. There's not an original idea in any of your books. You just stole everything from other writers. Adam stepped forward and put his hand on Laura's shoulder. It's okay, Laura. Thanks for trying. Hey, we're not going to get anywhere here, so... Adams turned to the judge. It's okay, Your Honor. I dropped my appeal. Turning to Laura, he whispered. Never tell a writer that his stuff isn't original, especially if he can throw you into utter torment for an eternity or two. Yes, Your Honor, I completely agree with your verdict, and I feel I have been judged fairly. Please, please excuse my friend. She cannot recognize the tremendous talents of a great writer like yourself. He led Laura out of the courtroom. Amy and Jefferson followed. They met Theo outside on the courtroom stairs. Theo was already punching some keys on the guide device. Come on, man. Let's split, you dig? You have been listening to A Writer's Hell. This is episode one of season two of Hitchhiker's Guide to Heaven, Hell, and Everything Else in Between. Written by Sue Lee Daniel Johnson. It is recorded and produced by Genesis 2112 Productions, copyright 2021. To listen to season one, search Hitchhiker's Guide to Heaven and Hell, complete season one on audible.com. following is a sample of the reality beneath old-fashioned reality in the modern world written by Suli daniel johnson antonia sighed true love i guess so said grace but what is he doing here now he should be dead an officer in the crimson uniform and the woman in the silver dress walked to the front of the room as the crowd parted the couple was greeted with curtsies and bows from the crowd elizabeth looked into andre's eyes and the sacrifice of years past made both of them well up with a feeling that jutted across the air had created an unbreakable bond that they held as they walked obliviously to the room around them. Yet they continued walking in the complete poise that the rigors of their culture demanded. The scene went pitch black. The darkness held for several unbearable moments. We are sorry to inform you that your account has been temporarily suspended. The message read in bright red lights, as it flashed across the darkness. Beth sat up in her chair and removed the light headset that interacted with her brain. The dimly lit room began to come back into focus as her eyes adjusted to the dim light. The disorientation began to hit her as her mind juggled with the new sensory input coming directly from her senses now. Everything was so dim and pallid, yet her eyes hurt a little as they interacted with the room around her. In a daze, She sat there, momentarily trying to make sense of the room she sat in. Objects she once knew were there, but they no longer made much sense now. Memories of them were there, but they were distant dreams from some unknown world. They were overshadowed by the color and texture of the previous 18th century scenes. These images still lingered in her mind, commanding its attention. She no longer knew this place. It no longer mattered. She did not want to be here, yet here she was. Beth Sokar, 32 years old, from Blight Hills, Illinois. The memories began to flush back in, despite her lack of eagerness. 
She wasn't accountant. This was her room, a small one-room loft. Well, that's what they called it. Actually, it was a small service bay with a virtual reality station set up inside. It was a complete VR unit that allowed for extended stays. It was equipped with the finest sensory equipment to give a full, immersive experience. It also contained a full life support system, complete with intravenous nutrition and circulatory stimulation to prevent bed sores and the onset of atrophied muscles. The setup was not strictly legal, but most long-term users had one. It allowed them to get around the effects of long-term sessions. The room contained nothing more than a combination bed and full immersion VR station. It integrated seamlessly with the user's body functions. Even sleep patterns were factored in and became part of the simulation. The goal was a virtual experience that was more real than reality. In fact, some long-term users developed various forms of psychosis and had to undergo lengthy therapy to be able to interact normally with the real world again. Social monitors and online services tried to police the abuses, but there were so many ways around their systems that they were fighting a losing battle. The problem had for some time been an epidemic. You have been listening to A Sample of the Reality Beneath, Old-Fashioned Reality in the Modern World, written by Suli Daniel Johnson. To find more audiobooks produced by Genesis 2112 Productions, Search Suli Daniel Johnson on Audible or most other audiobook services. In order to read more books written by Suli Daniel Johnson, search Suli Daniel Johnson on Kindle or go to Genesis2112.com.